You know, I used to say, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you, but really, I'm just trying to scare the out of you. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And I'm Don Brolin. Don Brolin. Woo! I'm so Woo! happy to be in your basically hometown here for AccountTex USA. We're in Boston, home of all the sports teams I personally hate. Yeah. And usually I'm getting grief from you about how yep. great these Boston teams are. I've been really lenient on you thus far. <laughs> and this is why I've never invited you on the podcast until today. <laughs> well, don't worry. The Patriots start their revenge on Sunday and just going for another, you know, Super Bowl this year. I hate Tom Brady. I know you do. But the Buffalo Bills, you know, they have a chance to participate this year. I mean, they're going to get uniforms and cleats. They'll probably be out there a little bit. Yeah, this is, the world this is, is it. This is why I do a podcast Listen, with Blake It's and your not you. fault. <laughs> it's your fault that you are a Buffalo fan. Not my fault. You made bad choices. It's not my fault. So, so speaking for it, speaking of bad choices, <laughs> the reason we have Don here today is Don is an expert in small business fraud. And when I say expert, like, you testify at courts and things, and you're seriously all about the small business fraud. And let's go from there. I don't know if you have a question, Blake. I mean, when you had actually, let's let's start with that, Blake. When you had small business clients, yeah, did you ever come across any fraudulent things? My well, not my client. My dad. My dad was a consultant wow. uh, in real estate, uh, and you know, he had a practice with what like three partners, and they had an office manager who over the course of a few years stole quarter million dollars. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Easy and breezy. They never got it back. I mean, she went to jail, but they, yeah. Yeah. They don't typically save the money when they steal it and then return it upon discovery. Yeah. Uh, typically, you know, they got a new car, they're going on quite a few trips, their kids in private school, or, you know, they're not stashing it. They're not putting in cans in the backyard, which if you're going to steal, do that. <laughs> like if you're going to save it, I, put it in the backyard. I feel like a lot of these fraud cases, like it's one of those things that just like spirals out of control. They weren't planning it. They didn't have an exit yeah. strategy because like, how did you think you were ever not going to get caught? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We all know the fraud triangle, which is the three no, we pieces. Don't. What is the fraud well, triangle? Okay. Well, Educate it's a fraud us. triangle. We are woefully ignorant. Oh, good. Oh, that's just like, like my, my clients. We always have good uh, ideas for committing fraud. I, so, I know but. so many people who are ignorant, including an attorney that I'm going to go battle next a week from Wednesday in court on a fraud case. So, um, uh, which I love. I love doing that. I love humiliating those who think they're smarter than every other person in the universe. Well, especially when they're lawyers. Not, especially like, lawyers. We're on board with that. I call them lawyer, and liars and accountants. But <laughs> well, actually, so for the fraud triangle, what happens in the if you read the report to the nations, which is a great resource, if you've never heard of that, it's called the report to the nations. It's published by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and it comes out every year and it's like a book and I love it. It's my favorite book ever. And it really tells you the statistics around what's happening. But in the fraud triangle, what happens is people have without internal control, and of course, small businesses think that's impossible to have. And I, we're not a corp, big corporation. We don't need internal controls and they don't even know what that means. Yeah, so no it's, like, it's such an easy, easy way for those who are involved where they have pressure. So what kind of pressure do they have? A bunch of different things. Either they, they have pressure to get their work done and they're always at work 80 hours a week and the boss is out of, out of town, always traveling to Italy. But they've got all this pressure and then they have opportunity because the small business doesn't have internal controls implemented or in place. And then the last thing, they can rationalize it. So they rationalize it and say, you know what? That guy's always in Italy and I'm always here working for that guy and I'm in charge of everything and I only get paid 60000 a year and you know they're living the life of luxury. And typically, the people who are, are actually committing the fraud are first-time offenders. These are not criminals that are out to so, defraud so small business. They right. just, the, the situation in their life. itself. Correct. Okay, so uh, we got three of them. Uh, you said opportunity, rationale. Well, that's the last one. What was the... Yeah. So, op opportunity, pressure, Pressure, and rationalization. Pressure. Those three things. Okay. And when they when that combination comes, 
that's like a hurricane, which we've just seen hurricanes are coming back because they're, you know, it's time of year. But that's what happens. It's like the perfect storm where they've got this pressure at home. Maybe a spouse lost a job. Maybe a spouse passed away and now they're the only source of income and they got six kids. I mean, there's reasons every anyone could give a reason why they would defraud somebody. Your high school chemistry teacher who gets cancer and needs to pay for his treatment. You know, literally. There was was no money in the high school system. So he he can commit fraud. He had to to move on to selling meth. Yeah. Yeah. Selling meth is not a bad idea, I guess. It's probably a better Um, idea. That's more tax fraud than anything. But no. So that's what happens. And these small businesses are are going out of business. And interestingly enough, there are statistics, which I'll, I'll be giving in my presentation, where payroll fraud takes three years to detect and an average of $150,000 $150,000 per occurrence. Wait, say that again? Yeah. Those numbers? Yeah. So it takes three years, 36 months on average to detect it, to okay. detect a payroll fraud. Now, to me, that's disgusting. And the reason is there's so many easy, affordable ways to have your payroll processed that there should never be a bookkeeper stealing payroll taxes. Like that should not even be a thing. Right. But it is. But a lot of businesses, yeah. we tend to forget this, I think, living in the cloud accounting podcast world, mm-hmm. you know, with these automated payroll providers, like a lot of businesses are still cutting paper payroll checks. Right. Those in and of themselves is a whole nother situation, right? So Just checks. <laughs> what's really great is, well, well, it's great for me, I guess, as there's so many ways that these people are stealing. They're time stealing. Matt Russell's the king of that. Like he he solved yep. for that problem for his small business. And time doesn't matter. Well, guess what? If people are stealing time, which people do, and you multiply that out, that's costing a small business owner a fortune. And I can tell you as, as a small business owner myself, having someone steal from me after the sacrifices, listen, everyone thinks you're in business. You got all this flexibility of all this money and they have this big like vision of what we all look like, quote unquote, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, we've sacrificed everything. We've invested our in our education and all these things. And so you hire an employee and they're in a situation where, you know, maybe the baby is sick. And I mean, whose heart doesn't stretch for that? But instead of talking about it or bringing it to attention, they feel like they've just, I'm under so much pressure. I've got to take care of my baby because trust me, and I, your baby comes way before me as your boss. I get that. But what ends up happening is they do that rationalization and say, well, you know what? They have plenty of money. I don't have any money and I need it for my baby. And guess what? They're going to rationalize that and they're going to steal. It'll be the first time ever. And with the payroll taxes, it's a compounding issue. So, sorry, did you bring up payroll because that's the most common or is it like... Or is it just the most preventable? It's like easy to... Yeah, I think it's the most preventable out of all of them. And you said, so you said 36 months to detect and how on average... Average 150,000. And if you think about it, if it takes three years, they're not saving the payroll tax money. What ends up happening is the IRS does not care. Neither does the state, neither does unemployment. They don't care that the bookkeeper stole your money. They, you are a fiduciary to your employees and you are the boss of your company. And if the bookkeeper steals the money, you're still on the hook. And the business owners are personally on the hook you bet. for the, the payroll or whoever was uh, also responsible for the payroll, right? Like, right. And yeah, yeah, and there's there's different, obviously, you know, if you can prove control of the bookkeeper 100%, then the bookkeepers, the, you know, there's well, a lot of I've pieces. heard about uh, outside accountants, actually, who run payroll getting held accountable, getting on the hook for those payroll taxes. Absolutely. That didn't get paid. Yeah. And I think that's part of like this awareness that I'm trying to bring to people about fraud, that it's not, and this is something that I talk about all the time, all the applications that we see at all of our shows, those applications are great. Yes, they're efficient. Yes, they're all of those things, but that's not the primary reason why we should be implementing them with clients. And I think that's where we as the trusted advisors are missing it. I think we're we're so wrapped up in efficiency and oh, bank feeds. And so you don't even really have to do anything. Well, that's not what it was. Me- that's not what it's meant for. It's not meant to not hand key transactions. It's meant to be an internal control for someone to look at financial records and say, why do I have so much in marketing? They're 
cutting themselves a $5,000 check. And if you're a company that spends a lot of money in advertising, you're not going to think $30,000 a year is a big deal. So, you know, that's one of my biggest things is, is the awareness that we as the trusted advisors, it has to start with us, right? And if we ourselves aren't cloud accounting for ourselves, how can we possibly with ethical, with an ethical attitude and appearance, promote that to our clients? David, I'm sure you have lots of questions. I have less questions about, I've never looked for fraud, mm -hmm. right? As an outsourced accountant, bookkeeper, sometimes I've spotted it, right? Mm -hmm. Found it or found iffy situations. How can I make that part of what I do for yeah. my clients? So like, great. That's such a great question because I'm actually going to cover that in my, in my presentation today, which is fun. But what we can do is we can start with one client at a time. And I think people, sometimes we all, as we find this maybe new service value add that we can give to our clients, which is really one of the most important ones is to protect them, is we can take one client that we know that we work with often, maybe they're even on a value billing and you take that one client and say, okay, Okay. What do they do? Do they have a cash register? Do they have payroll? Do they have files in their office that are in an unlocked desk or whatever? Like even just taking a simple evaluation of one client and say, okay, let me look and see where are the areas that they could be at risk even just basic, go through five, pick five things and say, okay, payroll that looks seems to be pretty nailed down. Okay, that's good. But they've got the payroll documents in a drawer that anyone can grab and do have identity theft. So you could do a simple evaluation of, a, of one client and say, hey, you know, I, I went to a conference and I'm starting to really pay attention to how the technology changes can be a threat for you. It may not be an improvement. So how can we implement some internal controls? Because I'm concerned about these five areas of your business. What do you think about that? hand them the report to the nations, like actually print it and hand it to them. I'll let them not really, you know, I'm all about the cloud too, but whatever you've got to do, <laughs> Kill to, some trees. you know, shake their, you know, shake them. You know, I used to say, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you, but really I'm just trying to scare the shit out of you. Okay. Because you don't listen when I'm just trying to prepare you. Oh, okay, great. Thanks. That's nice. No, guess what? I'm going to court a week from Wednesday and I'm going to testify in a divorce case, which who would think there's fraud in a divorce case? Guess where this fraud? An affidavit of financial means. Do you know what that is? That's one spouse has to provide their financial. How do they oh, make yeah. money? Mm -hmm. And the other spouse has to do the same thing. Right. And when it gets down to it, if you have a small business owner who runs a salon, for instance. So if there's a person running a salon, is their Schedule C accurate? Hmm. Why do they say they don't make any money? Okay. Why do they show $30,000 profit on their Schedule C when they're, there's no accounting system? So now you go and you start digging into, into bank statements and you look at the copies of the, the deposit slips, which are awesome because at this particular bank, you have to sign them when you do the deposit. So we know exactly who made cash deposits, who made check deposits and did less cash received, which you're not supposed to even do with a business bank account, right? And so you just start to look and you say, oh my goodness, like this, there's fraud everywhere and it's happening. And that's a simple example. But, you know, this other, the, the, the husband or whatever, he's making 150 G's a year and she's saying he's making 150 and I'm making 30. Well, he's like, no, you make more than that because you may show you make 30. So now guess what? We've got structuring when it comes to the cash deposits, potentially. We have tax fraud under reporting of gross income, tax loss to the government. We have sales tax issues, sales tax fraud. It's just all in one case. And it, and it just falls. I tried to scare the crap out of this chick in my deposition and she was stone cold. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I've ever met anyone as dumb as you because I'm going to tear you <laughs> apart in court. You and your attorney, I'm going to annihilate you in front of the judge. It's so simple. 
Because guess what? One plus one is one. We're not economists and not weather people. We get paid for the facts, not for a guess. Wait, did you say one plus one is one? No, one plus one is two. Oh. I might have said one plus one is one, but that's a, an economist. Sorry, just, just okay. I apologize okay. if that's what I said. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to work my it bad. out in my head. I was like, great. <laughs> gotcha. We fell for that. Yeah. So every day there's a news article that comes up. Like Absolutely. Constantly, some bookkeeper did something or it was a fraudulent. And it always seems like the it gets discovered on accident. Like, oh, th- that person finally took a vacation or like how, like is there, is there ways like you can actually create a scenario in your small business to possibly surface fraud by like the little in, hacks, right? Like making yeah. some, changing rules. Like, can you speak to that? Yeah, and that's, that's one thing when you get to a company that's like, 10, 15, 20 employees, that's a small business that's growing, right? They're still considered in the world of our world, they call them small business, which is relative in my opinion. But you know, you've got 10 employees and you have one bookkeeper and maybe one AR person, for example. They could be, there could be coercion there where the two of them are working to get together and they're figuring out how the AR person's gonna send invoices. And then when the check comes in, the bookkeeper will delete the invoice from the system. They'll take the check and deposit it in their bank account. So especially when there's multiple roles where there's five people in the accounting department and two people, you know, team up and you know, I don't know, maybe they go out and drink together at night or something and they've got this scheme where, you know what, I really want to go on a trip. Let's just, you know, we'll do one invoice and leads to two three, four, and then it becomes a pattern. Your question is a great question. Do you want to create that culture of, I'm trying to frame my employees would be something I think a business owner would think about. Yeah. When in fact, it's it for me, it's more of let's examine this one internal control and see where there may be risk. Okay. Do you ever open your mail? Like, do you ever go online and check your bank? And say, well, no, I got it. You know, they do all that stuff. Do you ever, have you ever signed a payroll check? Well, no, I just signed checks and hand them to the bookkeeper and she pays the bills. I've seen that. And they, and they just hand them over. I have a fraud case right now in South Chicago, which is really safe. A business owner has been kind of pushed out, a partner has been kind of pushed out and they're using a signature stamp. Well, back in, I think it was February 18th or something of 2017, there was an email that went out from not him, but his partner who said, don't use this guy's signature stamp without his approval. And so we went in there. We I took everything off of computers that I could find. I took the whole Outlook file from forever and we restored it. And we found the email that set, that gave that direction. So now they, well, everybody's deleted. Yeah, they deleted or no one remembers that it really happened. So we went and we searched for it and we found it. Well, that's one of the complaints. On, and that's what you do. You look at the complaint. Like, what are the issues that we're bringing up? And then you get the facts to back it up. And that was just one example. But it's just crazy what people are doing. And the technology is allowing them to do it easier, to be honest with you. That's why you need internal controls, approval processes and things. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. Because people think, oh, I'm going to get rid of the paper checks. And that that offers you, yes, it, it solves one problem, mm-hmm. but then it creates a whole host of others, which is now you've got people accessing online banking, perhaps. Exactly. And business owners. I see. I saw business owners in my practice who'd give the employee uh, full access into their online banking so they could do bill pay. Yeah. You their know, like, own their own login. Yeah. I have clients I have to do say to them. I love it when you go out. Uh, they have those videos where you go out and you say, hey, what's your password to your email? And they tell they tell it to them in the like on the Facebook Live or whatever it is. We should actually do that here, like yeah. to our accounts. We should test, just them test once. some people. We'll go walk around with our microphones. Be really like, What's cool. your password? And see if somebody just spits it out to yeah. us. Yeah. Just say, oh hey, do you? We're listen, security researchers. Do you listen to us on uh, Google Podcasts? What's your Google password? And just see if they give it to you. Like, and they'll and I you'll saw, probably get a. I don't know. We talked about a study. Uh, uh, some researchers did oh, this. Oh, the chocolate. Yeah, the chocolate it was study. like a German university and the researchers there just stood outside wearing the logo of the university and asked people for their university logins in exchange for chocolate. And like, 
40% of the students gave, <laughs> gave passwords away. It's like, know? no, but here's what you're going to find. You're going to find one of a few things, right? Hey, what's your Google password? You know what? I have no idea, but I have a notebook with all my passwords <laughs> in it. Let me let me get that out of my backpack. Right. That's going to be one answer. Oh, man. And then you're going to have another answer where, you know, okay, I, I my passwords. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So I always use my birth, my na- last name and birthday or whatever. Like they're going to say, I use this password for everything. But you'll see people here. And I, if you do it and I ask these people, where do you hold your passwords? Where do you hold your passwords? Most of them, it's going to be like an Excel in a notebook file. or it's notebook. an Excel file or it's on, on my desk, a sticky note on my monitor. What? All of my passwords are in Password Keeper or LastPass. And I have them because I never remember my passwords and I'm not going to have them on paper. Like, oh, I have them in my notes on my phone. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's nice and secure. Yeah, very secure. Very secure. You know. And they're entering them into information systems like... Well, you could just put them in your email and email them to yourself. Well, yeah, and then you have a send item. <laughs> but you could pin it to the top. Like, here are all my passwords. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Right Networks. In a perfect world, everyone would have 100% of their clients on a cloud-based accounting system using cloud-based apps. But the world isn't perfect and clients have a wide range of needs. And for some, this means using desktop-based software. That's where Right Networks comes in. Right Networks is your 100% accounting-focused desktop in the cloud that also includes an ecosystem of over 250 connected apps. As you and your clients take the journey to the cloud, Right Networks will be at your side, innovating the best ways to leverage the true cloud future by investing heavily in cloud apps like Transaction Pro and Autofy. They've created an always-on environment that supports 24-7 data transfer. Right Networks also offers no scheduled downtime for maintenance or application updates and meets the industry's highest security standards. To join the more than 50,000 firms that use Right Networks daily with their clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rncloud. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rncloud. And be sure to visit the Right Networks booth in San Jose at QuickBooks Connect 2019. I want I want to, before we go, I, I really want to hear like some some good horror stories or some good case studies like what's what's your favorite i mean it's not not a good thing There's or anything so but like what are, give us a really juicy one like All you right. know top of mind the creative like like like, like you know when these people do something and it's like so genius those oh. are the ones i love i'm like <laughs> this is the smartest person in the world like yeah so uh, i mean we're talking about the guy who was using um the irs to launder money he mm-hmm. was he was paying the payroll taxes but on the check he would write his own social right and he was paying his estimated payments essentially and then getting refunds, refunds. oh yeah that's a good one <laughs> but so so because it's annoying to me when people aren't even like somewhat clever. You know, they're just like taking ke- money, writing checks to themselves. I'm like, this is stupid. So yeah. Anyway, well, the problem is, you know, they they don't realize that when they actually document something, when they sign something or write something or do something, it's documented. If it was kind of a negotiation like Bitcoin, you know. That's a whole nother thing. But but let me, I'll tell you, this is a good one. This is a good case I did a year ago, about a year ago. And it was a husband and wife who became ex-husband and wife because he threw her down the stairs. So that happens. He went to jail for seven years. Okay. While he's in jail, the ex-wife runs his landscaping business. So he's, she's running her own landscaping business and running his landscaping business. Okay. And they previously had one together? Or like, um, was, Yeah, they previously okay. had one together, but then they got, you know, he threw right. her down the stairs and he was yeah. like, well, I'm going to have my own landscaping business because you threw me down the stairs or whatever. So she actually does the accounting. She's sending the crew out. She's cutting the checks. She's doing all this stuff. So now it comes to me. So she wants more child support, but he's been in jail. So he makes, you know, probably one cent an hour or whatever, but she's running his business lucrative. 
cash all over the place. You know, you mow a lawn, you get 50 bucks, you put it in your pocket, and you walk away. That's not being reported, but that's a whole separate issue. So she wants child support. So they hired me to go in and do a forensic analysis of his business account mm-hmm. and her business account. And so we were able to very easily show where she would pay herself because she wrote a checkout to herself and wrote whatever on it. Uh, You could see she would pay for the subcontractors that were doing work for her out of his business and all of these things that I could tell what was going on. And then when you go in and look at that and it's so easy to pick it up, you know, if you make a checkout to yourself, you gave yourself money. What was it for? Well, guess what? If it was... She put on there subcontract labor for herself, like doing accounting work and bookkeeping, and she paid herself. Did you claim it on your tax return? So we pull the tax return. We say, okay, well, did you report this? Well, no, I was paying myself for my husband's business. Yeah, that's called income. And the best part about the story is that she represented herself in court. Oh, no. And... I went to court and I'm on the stand and, you know, she's asking me just questions that I'm just like, are you serious? And the judge got his hand on his head. I'm his head head on his hand or whatever. And he's like, are you, you can't object to that answer, miss, and all this other stuff. And he's just like rolling his eyes at me. I'm like, no kidding. I'm, you know, what, how do you think I feel? I have to answer dumb questions. And so and that was kind of a good hearings? Like, can Blake and I show up and sit in the back as press and watch I, one of I, these hearings? Oh, definitely. Those are public cases. Cases are public, man. I'll let you know where I'm going on the 18th. You can come visit. You can come come and watch how I will rock and roll because I'm going to tear that one apart. And it's fun. You know, I do the dep- depositions and I have to, I create an expert report with, you know, what I'm relying on, the facts and figures. And so this one case that I'm going to be at, I'll pull the uh, sentencing guidelines from the IRS pubs. I'll pull their, they have um, internal revenue manuals that they follow when they do audit. And so I specifically go to those businesses that are primarily cash type businesses, which hair salons are, are, you know, famous for that, if you will. Not that they don't accept other things. Everybody really accepts credit cards. But what about the cash? You know, you're still doing everybody. You know, you see you go in to get your nails done. They say cash tips and cash only. Well, why do you think they're doing that? I mean, or, come or, on. Hey, 20% off if you pay cash. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. So anyway, it's kind of fun stuff. And, um, you know, I I don't remember the last time I couldn't find something wrong. Partner stealing from partners is so easy. Yeah, you know, yeah. OK. Oh, you didn't have a company trip to the Bahamas. Oh, no. Oh, there's four. Four tickets? Oh, I see. Is Are these your kids? Because on the front of your tax chart, it shows they're your dependents. Oh, are they working in your business? Oh, they're four and five. Oh, this is not really working out well for you. Oh, so you mean I can't employ my four-year-old son? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> don't even get me started on on uh, a particular speaker at a particular conference who was promoting strategic tax deductions that um, was extremely inappropriate. And we could talk about that offline. But people are telling people to do that. And those people are going to get caught because if I hear it, I'm reporting them. I'm not. I will have none of of, of someone, a professional, telling other professionals that this is okay. You cannot write off your swimming pool. Okay, people? I don't care if you bring bring your clients over or your or your customers or your employees or whatever. That's not a write-off. You can't call that, you know, part of your home office, people. It's just not a thing. Sorry, David. You're going to have to amend your I, returns. I, so, so I record the, the podcast in my closet and all my wife's clothes are in there and they <laughs> the office is sound barrier. Like, can I just buy her new clothes? Of course. It's a business expense? Yeah, it's a business expense. It's part of your noise buffering system. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Listen, I use my dogs. I use my dogs for like their bark, for some of my, you know, things, recordings that I do. So I pay the dogs. Well, they can't go to the bank. They've got little legs. So of course I'm going to, you know, pay them and deduct it. As part of my voiceover career. I like that. Just yeah. stupid. Yeah, it's good. So one. funny. So Don, you're super excited about this. Like the, this like the feels like it's the dream for you. Like you found your niche in all the accounting directions you could go. Like this is the one for you. Like you're you're like a detective, you're like a cop. Like you get to just you get to kick people's ass, yeah. you know? 
Absolutely. I, for me, it's like I get the hairs on my arms, which I have hair on my arms. That'd be per, first observant thing for you, David. But uh, so I do have hair on my arms. And so whenever I get a call for a new case, they my hair stands straight up and I get giggly and I grab the nearest eye black that I can find and I wipe it on my eyes and I put my bulletproof vest on and I put my belt on and off I go because I'm like, okay, someone stole from someone else. I'm not okay with that. And I love it so much that I'll put everything I can. I'm, you have to be creative as a forensic accountant, right? Yeah. And you have to you have to think outside the box and think of how can I back into these facts? And so I, I come up with crazy things like I need your schedule for a hair salon. I want to see your schedule because I want to see how many appointments you had that day and what deposits went in. And so you only had three credit card transactions, but you had eight clients and you're only showing in that you had five. Mm-hmm. Where are the other three? People just don't get that connection. You're just reconciling it. That's it's all simple. You're doing. Yeah. And yeah, and it's not it's not about really doing accounting in some ways. It's just there's something that doesn't make sense one here. One and one equals one. One and one equals oh, one. one to them, but one and one equals two to me. So, so, so I have some questions on the whole, because um, you're a certified fraud examiner. And obviously you're telling us you're going to different states to testify in court. Like, is there some sort of licensure that carries from state to state? Like, how, how does the logistics of being in your profession work? As far as, you know, going across state lines and whatever, being a certified fraud examiner, you're just a certified fraud examiner. Now, obviously a CPA, that those kind of rules run a little different if there's reciprocation between the states and things like that. But going in as a certified fraud examiner and saying, okay, I'm testifying in court. There's no there's no parameters around that. What, um, what does it take to become one? Well, so you go again. The Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. They're out, they're based in Texas. They're wonderful. You take their course. You can either take their course in self study or you can go and do it in person. And then you take four tests, four exams. And what I found, so I went to D.C. and I went for four days and I sat in class all day. They brought FBI agents in. I was like, can oh, we you, do you, this you, again? You lost your mind. I'm I lost sure. my mind. I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm such a nerd. The I can't to carry guns, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, the... listen, if I can't be a cop like a, a real police officer. I mean, I wish somebody had told me I would have went in the FBI or CIA or something like that. I had no guidance for that. But um, she's deep undercover. I'm hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's <laughs> like, hey, you should be an accountant. It's yeah, great. Really? Let's do it. And that's why I have a Jeep Wrangler. I got just got to shade the windows a little bit more. They need to be a little darker. You know, I put on my glasses and sometimes I just put a suit coat on and I don't, and I have shorts on to make it look like I'm in the Secret do you have Service. Big binoculars. Big I do. Ones. And I have the earpiece thing and everything. I got all that stuff rolling, rolling with rolling. So, but no, it's, it's like, so you can go take the test and they become a certified you have and there are requirements so if you go to the acfe.org there is a point system so you have to have a certain number of points between education between experience you have to get letters of recommendation that you've done casework so you it's similar to the cpa where you have to have the two years experience and all that stuff a little less heavy than it obviously the cpa which is insane that whole thing but um so being a certified fraud examiner is for me, really changed things because I learned a lot of strategies through that class and things that I already knew as an accountant, but looking at it at a totally different angle. Because there's, you know, there's obviously as a as a tax preparer, you're preparing taxes based on things your client has given you, and that's the best we can do. They don't let us audit their books before we prepare a tax return. But at the same time, because I deal with IRS criminal and civil investigation and all these other things, as a preparer, it's made me change the way I approach a tax return and, you know, in the fraud that's out there and that kind of stuff. And I look at the comparatives for the small businesses and say, well, why is this so high this year? Like, I don't just prepare the return and say, oh, you owe this much money or you're getting this refund. I look at the schedule C's and I'm like, wait a minute, this is really off. Why, Why was your revenue so much lower? Like what happened? And so I become a little more inquisitive, not that I'm, I have to, 
but I do because I want to be more diligent. You know, the last thing I want is one of my tax returns to get audited and I screwed it up or, you know, I at least didn't do add up the deposits, which even that is you want to do a due diligence, add the deposits and see if it matches gross revenue. And that doesn't even matter because in this case that I'm working on now, she took checks to the bank and then took cash out of the out of the deposit and deposited what she wanted. So if you just added deposits, you'd think she made X when really, and if you look at the deposit slips, it's way more than X. So it's just a whole different mindset and it's a, it's a new level of paranoia. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Well, I love it. And it's been so great talking to you, but you got to go do your sessions. I so. got to go teach to you guys because I don't think I think you're the only ones left. <laughs> so I'll be talking to myself and I'll just let you listen. We're going to come listen. So, um, Don, if people want to get in touch with you online, where's the best place for them to do that? I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. So at Don Brolin is, is a really good way to just catch up on what I'm posting. LinkedIn, I try to get relevant fraud content out there as much as possible. So I, I think Twitter is probably the best. Uh, right. That's where I live mostly. Uh, and I enjoy that. So I'm building this fight against fraud and I've got the fight against fraud.com and the fraudcast that cloud accounting and I are going to talk about and uh, coming up here in the future because, oh, awesome. yeah. uh, because we need to get the word out. Our, our biz, small business owners are in danger. They really are. And if people don't start taking that seriously, we're going to lose those small business owners and we're going to have a bigger problem in the United States than we have ever had before because we do carry the country. I love that mission. And as always, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And I'm at David Leary. Don, thanks so much. I love you guys. Thank you. So I'm so and, proud and, and, of you. And if you want, I know you held in all these cuss words to be very professional. If you yeah. want to just rattle them off now, I we'll just, just beep them. I just love you guys. This is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, Sorry, that's absolutely unprofessional. But they said, you know what? Got a whole bunch of tards around here. So we've got to like be real careful about what we're saying. And their accountants, dumb as fuck. Tards, douche. My favorite one is douche canoe. If you don't I've never know douche heard canoe, that. that's a new that's one. A good for one. Me. I saw it on Bachelorette. <laughs> Such a good word. So anyway, you know, bleep, 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 bleep. Podcast out. Oh, that's out. Was that loud? Did I say the words loud?